Kia ora koutou. Can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. Tēnā koutou katoa. Ko rimutaka tipai maunga. Ko te awa kairangi te awa. Ko Northern Star te waka. Ko Ngātipākia te iwi. Nō rera, he tangata o te tiriti ahau. Ko Minaline tōku huarangatera. Ko Levi, Rawa, ko Asher, ko Macy, Aku Tamariki. Ko Nat Carey, tōku ingoa. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou katoa. Good to see you. So that's just a little bit about me. Um, my now three kids, my wife, Madeline, um, a whole bunch of other stuff that describes who I am and, and where I come from. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm just going to read um, a passage of scripture out. And if you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Um, I'm not going to show it on the screen. So if you've got your Bible or your phone or steal someone else's Bible, um, or if it's just in your memory, yeah, see someone else's phone, text off their phone. Hey, mum. But I'm going to read it out. It's really good as a church to read scripture together and just read portions of it. And I'm not going to use every single bit of this passage, but we're going to base ourselves there and we're going to come back to it and use it as our kind of springboard into this morning. So Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Anyone? Deli, where are you? Hey, amen. Let me down, let me down. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, or God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. Amen. Such a good passage, isn't it? It's a real foundational one. So what I want to do this morning is I want to use that passage and carry on in the series that that Lawrence started so brilliantly three weeks ago, Pete did last week, looking at the glorious church and some aspects of that. So what I want to look at this morning is one thing that is core to our DNA as a family of churches. So we're not just an isolated church here, we're around the world. It's called New Frontiers, it's a relational base, and it started from a move of the Spirit, and there are core bits of DNA that really make us who we are. You chop us in half, that's what you'd see, like uh, that rock that you, you break. And actually, we were just down in Christchurch, a few of us, over the weekend, meeting with other churches and new frontiers around New Zealand, and just praying for each other and encouraging each other and standing with each other in different struggles and in the joys. So it's core DNA to a family of churches, but it's also core DNA to us right here and a part of who we are. And that is this, is that we want to create a heavenly community 
full of grace. Grace is a big word for us, and it's not just about being saved by grace, but we're going to look at that. It's about building a community that understands grace, that relates to one another in grace, that thinks through the lens of God's amazing grace to us. We want to build a church like that, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to share some stories from my own uh, family, my own family's journey, uh, both good and bad. And I want to challenge you, wherever you're at this morning, to go deeper in God's grace. So you might be just looking in and thinking, you know, what is God all about? Or you might have walked with him for decades. I want to challenge you, let's go deeper this morning. There's more to come. It's like we've just scratched the surface of what God is like and his mercy and his love and his grace. So prepare to be challenged because we want to spend some time with God and we want to respond to him and say, God, as a community, we want more of this. We're happy, we're thankful for where we're at, but we're not settled with where we're at. And this isn't just about you and you and God. It starts there, we are saved. Um, individually, we're saved. He, we respond to God because he drew us, and we're, we, we're right with him, but then we want to do it together. We want to be a together community. Much of the New Testament, when it was written, it wasn't written you do this and you do that. It was, you do this. You do this together. It was written to groups of people, churches, who are working this stuff out in community. And we want to be a heavenly outpost of grace so that when people come amongst us, they go, wow, I've never seen Christians like this. There must be a Father in heaven who loves me and is passionate for me. Too often, I think, people meet Christians and what they get is insecurities and they get judgmentalism, and it repulses them. And I can't blame them. I've, I've had that in my own heart. I've probably done that to people. But I want to be more and more filled with grace. And this community, if they meet us in our workplace or on the streets or on a Sunday, whatever, however they interact with us, they get grace and mercy and acceptance and love. So what is grace? Well, my dad is in the 70s as a um, barefoot hippie, he walked into a church and said, I know who Jesus is, I understand who Mary is, but why do we keep singing, singing about this woman called Grace? And someone had to explain to him who that was. You know, a common and helpful definition, a place to start, is this. Grace is the unmerited favor of God towards humanity. The unmerited favor of God towards people. And we're going to start, we're going to kind of look at that but I would just add to that definition. There's another helpful definition as well, which is this. Grace is the power of God to change people and to enable his church to do amazing things. That's also, when the Bible talks about grace, it's also talking about a power that can change us, as well as the unmerited favor of a beautiful heavenly father. So it's his favor, it's his kindness, it's his love towards us. He is a good father who loves his people. You know, that's a revelation to many Christians, that God is a good father who cares about him. And, and Kat was sharing um, about that. She almost stole my talk, actually. I was going to say, Kat, shush, I'm going to talk about that. No, I'm kidding. You could have done this better than me. She was sharing that she, didn't, she came from a different place to God is loving and gracious, and it was a revelation to her. And it's just it's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. It was just it's cut me to the heart. It's so lovely. But for many Christians, they still haven't heard that. They haven't heard that God is loving. And they, they live with this vague condemnation and the sense of God is just 
waiting to beat them with a stick when they mess up. He's like, oh, I just can't wait for you to do something wrong so I can hit you over the head. Well, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is full of grace. So unmerited, what does unmerited mean? It means unearned, completely unearned. It's a free gift. Our passage that we read in verse 4, it says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It's by his great love. It's by his grace that we come home to the God, the Father, that we get added to the family, that we get saved and adopted. His grace, unearned by us, but paid for by Jesus on the cross. Romans 5 says this, that while we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. And in our passage, it says we were dead in our sins. If you're someone's enemy, and if you're dead, you can't make things right, can you? It's impossible. It has to come from God's side to come to us and to shed his, the blood of his son and, and, and wrap us up in his arms and forgive us and set us free. It's completely unearned from our side. He pours out favor on his enemies. Isn't that a ridiculous thought? That's crazy. You know, that was where we were at. All of us were at that point at some time. You may be there now. You might not have come to a point where you say, Jesus, I'm laying down my life. I'm going to give it away and I'm going to follow you. Please forgive me. Well, you're at a place where every single one of us was, which is dead in our sins. And actually, like the Bible says, enemies of God. That kind of hurts. Eh? That's, that's quite offensive to our kind of our worldview, um, the way we see things. The Bible says we're dead. We're enemies of God. You're like, well, I'm a pretty good person. Well, you might do some good stuff, but you're also an enemy of God. And that's not me high and mighty saying, you're an enemy of God. I'm saying I was once an enemy of God. Everyone in this room was once an enemy of God. As the wise Rafiki said, the truth hurts. <laughs> but actually the truth also sets you free because God doesn't leave you there. If you want to come home to him, you can give your life away to him this morning and say, God, let your rich grace and mercy save me. Change my life and bring me into the family. And if that's where you're at this morning and you want to make that step, I'd love to pray with you afterwards. Come and find me, maybe the person you came with, and, and say, today I want, to, I want to come into the family. I want to experience this love and this grace that, that Kat so brilliantly shared about. The thing about Christianity is this. We are saved by grace. We carry on the same way in grace. Saved by grace, we carry on the exact same way. And I think this is where it often gets lost for Christians. Certainly in my own heart and in times in my life, this is the part that I seem to lose grip of sometimes and I have to be reminded of it and come back to grace. Subtly or not so subtly, we start thinking, right, now I'm saved, I need to earn God's love. I need to work really hard to make sure he keeps loving me. I need to work really hard and do all this stuff so that people keep loving me. And we start to lose grip on the fact that it is saved by grace, that we carry on in grace. We finish in grace. And this is what Paul was writing about when he wrote the book of Galatians. He was battling with this very concept. 
Now, the church in Galatia had started in this incredible experience of God's grace. It was like it changed their lives. And then these other teachers had weaseled their way in, and they started to say things like, yeah, yeah, that's great that you're saved by grace, but you need to add to that now. You've got to do some stuff to keep God happy with you. You need to add some laws to your life. Otherwise, you're not really saved. You're not really in God's favor. You're not really God's people. Paul was furious with this. He was absolutely furious. If you read Galatians, it is, it is hard-hitting. He says, I wish those who would, try and, who would try and turn you away would go and emasculate themselves. It's like, whoa, Paul, that's strong. But he's so passionate about it being about grace alone and not a works-based religion. In Galatians chapter 3, it starts by saying, Are you so foolish? Are you foolish? One translation says, You idiots! You idiots! What are you doing? And in verse 3, it says, Are you so foolish? Are you beginning, after beginning, by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? He's saying you began in the Spirit. You began in grace. You began in, in the love of God, and you're trying to carry on in flesh, and trying to earn your way to God in religious dead works. He's saying, you idiots, you can't do that. It's a false gospel. Come back to the grace of God. Sometimes we need to look at ourselves in the mirror and go, you idiots, come back to grace. <laughs> I certainly do. Paul was eager for them to understand that the way you start with God is the way you carry on every day with God. You start in grace, you carry on in grace, we will finish in grace and enjoy grace for eternity. It's all unearned on our side, and it's the favor of God from his side. He says if you don't carry on in grace, then you've lost the plot. And I, I fear sometimes when I do look at my own life, at times that it's easy just to kind of revert back to, it's not even always conscious, but revert back to this kind of works-based thing and this focus on doing, 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 and um, even, even on people's opinion of me. That can be a subtle way you, you step out of grace. It's like, oh, you know, am I doing enough to be appreciated by people? And, oh, you know, what does this person in the church think of me? And what about this over here? And, and these questions start coming in, and they're a subtle pulling away from the gospel of grace. And I get that. It's understandable because our culture all around us is a work culture. It's a workspace culture. The motto our, work, our world lives by is, I do, therefore I am. I do, therefore I am. It's about how well you perform, how good you look, how talented you are in this area, how many Instagram followers do you have, therefore my value. And people are like always trying to seek to be better at this and better and compare themselves to others and climb to the top because that gives them value. Well, that's actually the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is this. He did, therefore I am. Jesus died on the cross. God poured out his favor on me through the cross. Therefore, I am a child of God. And we don't let that go. We don't go, right, that's how I was saved now let's move on and do some good works and try really hard and hope God will be pleased with me. No, you stay in. He did, therefore I am. And isn't our passage that says that God has prepared good works for us to do. He has prepared them. So there is good things for us to do, but it always comes out of grace. 
It's always because God loves me, because he favors me, I'm going to give my life away and I'm going to serve people around me and I'm going to lay my life down for others and I'm going to see the gospel extended. But that's a from love, not a for love. And that little word is very important because so many Christians are like working hard for love. And the Bible calls it dead works. And it's going to be burnt up at the end because only what counts is what you do with God because of his love. Because you, because no matter what you do, he loves you the same. Even if you do none of that, his love for you never changes. That is just, it's mind-boggling. In fact, I was just thinking about this this morning. I'm one of three kids, and my brother, my brother is, is so intelligent and smart. He travels around the world um, consulting governments on how to run their tax policies. It's like, it's crazy. But just imagine for a second that my parents had a fourth child, and that fourth child was born with such severe disabilities that they couldn't speak, couldn't write, they'd never even dress themselves, they maybe couldn't even walk. Do you think my parents would care any less or love any less that child than the super achiever? And the answer to that question often tells a lot about our hearts with how God the Father feels about us. It doesn't matter if you're the super achiever, the Billy Graham who saw you know, millions come to Christ, or actually you feel like you're struggling and nothing that you do is very seen by people, and actually, oh, I'm not really sure I'm at, but God, please come and help me. God loves you the same. And actually, when you understand that God loves you the same, it frees you to then do good works with him. But it's a full stop. He loves you, full stop. And then we, we partner with him, and we have the joy of seeing his kingdom come to the earth. And I think, I just feel like we're really in a moment as a church where we know this stuff, it's part of our DNA, we're building a community on it, but we need to go deeper. We personally need to go deeper, and together we need to go deeper into this. We need to let it affect every, everything we do, every day we live, every relationship we have with one another and with the outside world, it needs to be dripping with grace and God's unmerited favor. And I feel like we need to spend some time, even this morning, we're going to just come before God and say, God, I need more of you and more of your grace in my life. So how do you know if you need this? Well, if you're breathing, you need it. But how do you know if actually there's some things in your life that need adjusting by his grace? Well, here's some kind of thoughts or some questions for you. For me, often it's a subtle shift from, wow, I'm so loved by God, to, oh, how well am I doing? How well am I kind of working in this area? Or how, how are people's opinions of me? Are they good? Are they bad? And I start to live by that. That's a subtle way that I know, oh, I've moved out of grace here, and I've moved into performance and works. It might be that you look at a person uh, and you think, they're receiving more praise than me. Why am I being overlooked? That's a subtle telltale sign that you're moving out of grace of what does the Father think about me? And man, I can celebrate when people, when people thrive and when they're doing well. It's not about comparison. Comparison is a key telltale sign, a red flag that goes up that in your thinking you're moving away from the grace of God. Oh, poor Macy. You fall off the stairs. You're moving away from grace. No, I'm kidding. I know when my 
thought life and my prayer life automatically go to, what am I doing, what am I doing, God help me with what I'm doing, 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 as opposed to my thought life and my prayer life being about, wow, I get to have intimacy with the Father. I know that in my thinking, I'm moving away from the grace that God gave me. And, and Paul would be saying to me, are you so foolish? Come home. It's not about losing my salvation, but it's about losing that, that intimacy with the Father that I can have every day, that is accessible every day. I want to live in that grace. But I know that if it starts to be about comparison or about performance, that, hey, I'm starting to shift off that middle point. The enemy is just subtly getting in there and moving me off the center of who I am with God. Another telltale sign that you might need to understand more grace is that when you think of the way God feels about you, you feel a vague condemnation over your life. Just kind of, ugh, something's wrong with me. You know, conviction, God convicts us because he cares about holiness. But actually his conviction is specific and it brings hope. So God might say, hey, this area of your life, this area of your sexuality or maybe this area of anger in your life, Come and partner with me. That needs to change. You need to repent, and we're going to move on, and I've got better things for you, my child. That's a gracious God. God does not say to you, I just vaguely don't like you. I just, oh, there's something wrong with you. God never says that about his children. So if you're feeling this vague thing that, hey, there's a shame about my life, something is wrong with me, that's not the, God, the grace of God. He's over here saying, I love you, my son. I love you, my daughter. And if I'm going to convict you of stuff, I'm going to bring hope that change can come. And it's with a tender heart that I say, turn away from this area in your life so we've got something better for you. It's always for something better with God. Another telltale sign for me is I can't just sit still and enjoy God because there's always something to do or someone else to worry about or a problem over here or oh, I've got to sort that out or you know, this person in the church is struggling. I can't just sit still and go, Father, let me just receive your grace. And I know if I can't do that in my day-to-day, then, hey, I need to come back to grace. I know that actually one telltale sign is when I'm quick to judge and write other people off for their faults, I know that I need to come back to grace because I'm not seeing other people in light of grace. I'm not seeing them in light of God's passionate love for them. I'm kind of like, ah, you know, this or that makes me superior, or this or that makes me inferior to them. That's a telltale sign that you've moved off grace and you need to come back, come back to grace. Do any of those ring a bell? Anybody get them all? (laughs) I did, I wrote this. (laughs) So my family's story really is, is really wrapped up in this. My parents became Christians when they were teenagers, and they had an incredible encounter with the Spirit. They became passionate followers of God. They wanted to really be radical with their life and see lives changed and have people who were vulnerable living with them so they could disciple them and be family with them. But what they never encountered in their experience was a community of grace. That was what was missing. They never found a church that camps under the waterfall of grace and lets it affect everything they do, relationships, expectations of one another, the way we reach out to the world around us. They, they just they didn't find that. What they frequently encountered was a do-do-do, a legalistic men- mentality of high expectations on one another and just a 
churning of the Christian wheels. Come on, you've got to do, do, do. You've got to be at this. You've got to be at that. You've got to do everything. And it's just it's tiring. It just it left them feeling like, oh, where's my joy? By the way, that's another telltale sign. You've moved off grace as you're asking the question, where's my joy gone? Because actually when you're just experiencing God's grace, no matter what situations can come your way, joy comes with it. The joy of the Father comes with it. So where's your joy this morning? Is that maybe a sign that you need to ask God for more grace? So I'm going to read to you just a bit of my family's story out of these two wonderful books. <laughs> these are two books that my dad has published, and they are high quality. I can highly recommend them. This one is about suffering and faith, and it's about my parents' journey of thinking my dad was dying and how he worked that through with God, and the, and the doctors thought he was dying. This one is the more recent one. It's called I Married a Blanket Thief, which is my mum. And that one's about marriage. And I would just highly recommend that these are are such the discipleship books, really. They'll draw you deeper to God. They'll challenge you practically about your life or marriage and and actually raising kids. So my dad's not here this morning, but he'll sell you a copy. Maybe you'll get a discount. I got mine for free. (laughs) That's because I'm in the book. The best chapters are the ones about me. (laughs) No, not really. Another telltale sign that you walk out of grace <laughs> is when it's all about you. <laughs> so I'm going to read this one. So out of my dad's new book, um, he says this about, they came out of Teachers College, they were young, childless, and, and married, and they moved to a new city, and they wanted to find a church. They said the worst thing about the church they found was there was so little understanding of the meaning of grace. Sarah and I understood grace more by intuition than theology, as we'd never had any solid teaching on it. Most of what we heard was, do more, try harder, pray longer, study your Bible unceasingly. The churches we knew tended to reflect a work ethic of Western society where reward is directly proportional to the effort you put in. While this is fine to a degree, it is not the message of the gospel. The Christian author Philip Yancey summed up grace like this. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you less. Grace is about God's undeserved love towards us. So that was really where they were at. Through this church experience and other church experiences, what they found was control and manipulation and people trying to build their own things really hard in their own strength and a real heavy expectation on, right, well, if you're, you know, if you're passionate for God, then you'll be doing this, 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 and this. And, and it, was, it was lack of grace and about works and do-do-doing. Really, it was like this. When Jesus described the Pharisees in Matthew 23, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And that was their experience of church life. Now, praise God, that's not the experience of church life across the nation at that time, but my parents just had a really bad run of it. At one point, they were doing almost everything. My dad was an elder. They were doing kids' work, youth work, Sunday stuff. The pastor had burnt out through a tragedy in his own family, so they were trying to support him while kind of doing his job and having three kids and kind of having their own. My dad was working as well. They were doing absolutely everything, and they lost their joy, and they just started burning out. And all the while, they were kind of doing everything and keeping the, the wheels spinning in the church. Oh, got to do, got to do, got to do. Other people in the church were backbiting each other and squabbling over petty things and 
turning up just when there was a decision to be made so they could have their kind of power vote and then sort of you never see them again. And my parents just thought, this is, this is so tiring and we've just had enough of this. And unfortunately, this wasn't the first time they'd almost been burnt out by, um, by their experience. But at this particular time, they just th- thought, we want to escape. And I didn't realise this for many years, but it was a big part of my family moving from New Zealand to England, both for good reasons, but also because my parents were like, we've just got to get out of here. We're so burnt out, we just need a fresh start. My mum went to England thinking, I want to join a church where no one knows my name, I can show up and no one will know if I'm there or not, and I can slip in anonymously and slip out anonymously and just no one will know me, because that's just where she was at. She was so burnt out from being at the centre of all the doing, doing, doing. And my dad um, picks it up in his first book, and he says this, This was my story until God led me away from New Zealand as a burnt-out Christian, so tired of religious works. To my delight and surprise, my heavenly dad led me to a New Frontiers church. The church seemed to understand grace and that works by themselves are dead and destructive. Grace wasn't just spiritual jargon, but meant acceptance by God that he is our father and we are his true children, no strings attached. I clearly remember my first time at this particular church in a little town in England about half an hour, 45 minutes away from where Pete and Julie were. I remember my first time there because of Sarah's reaction to God leading us there. She cried throughout the entire service and she was so overwhelmed with a sense of coming home. That's what a community of grace is for people. It's like coming home. Whether they know Jesus before or not, maybe they've walked them for years, you walk into a community full of grace and you go, there's something different here. I'm home. I don't even know these people yet, but I feel a sense of home where I'm supposed to be. It's like heaven on earth. And that was a huge part of my parents then um, connecting with the Hinares and others and going, we want to plant a church back into New Zealand with that same DNA and those same values. And that's what we hold as a church. Of course, we're on a journey. We want more of it. But you cut us to the core and you'll find grace. And it's one of the things that has just has transformed my walk with God. And you know what? There are other families of churches and groups of churches that hold grace. But the thing that uh, saddens me is actually how rare it is. It's not just in here. Of course, we know that. But it is actually quite rare across this country to have communities and churches of people that truly understand and walk in grace. And we have a part to play. Humbly, we have a part to play and helping to bring that expression back to New Zealand. We've got a lot to learn from other people, but we have things to give and to, to share about things like grace that has just so impacted our lives. So I would humbly say to you, that's what we're trying to build here, as a community of grace that's like a city on a hill, that Christians and non-Christians alike can see it and go, wow, there's a God in heaven who loves me and is for me and cares about me. The leaders in that church, they saw my parents and they saw a family or they saw two people and a bunch of kids. They saw two people who were gifted, passionate for God and burnt out. And so instead of going, well, you know, let's take the gifted bit and the passionate bit and rinse them for all they've got. They said, you need to sit, you need to rest and you need to get healed up. And my parents just cried their way through meetings as they encountered the grace of God that isn't based on works and people who related to them by grace. And, you know, we've had people 
come into this church and you have conversations and it's like, man, I feel so burnt out. And our response to that is sit and rest and receive grace. Whatever you do in the future, it needs to come out of grace. And you need to sit there and stay there and get healed up in that place before you sort of jump in and try and you know, find your place through your gifts or whatever it might be. You know, our country is longing for a church of grace. It's not enough to be an individual of grace. God never intended for individuals of grace. He intended for communities together where grace is outworked because it's outworked in the togetherness, in the nitty-gritty, in the painful things, in the forgiveness, in the caring for one another when things get tough. You know, the church, if the world sees a church like that, that is how New Zealand will be transformed. And we have a part to play amongst other great churches to say, hey, we're going to go deeper into grace and we're going to let it affect everything we do and we're going to be a shining light on a hill. Are you up for that? Will you build that with us? Because this isn't about attending a church. This is about building something. It's about being part of the family. It's about being saying, I'm in with everything because I, I see grace I want to know more about it, and I want to live in the community of it. So I would encourage you, wherever you're at this morning, are you in? Do you want to build with us? Not just attend on a Sunday, but build with us. Of course, building with us might mean sitting and being refreshed. Then do that. But be part of the family. We're a family of grace. We're not a meeting on a Sunday. We're a family. you stand with me? be great just to spend a moment really before the Father of Grace. Ironically, even though it's not about the individual, one of the best ways we can grow a church of grace is by you getting hungry yourself and saying, God, I need more of your grace. I want more of you. Perhaps you might have heard some of those things and think, oh, I've got some telltale signs that there's a bit of legalism in there, there's a bit of performance mentality in my life. You know, one way to, great way to receive more grace is to repent. You know, God's not, he's less interested in you being like, sorry, he's interested in repentance, which means, God, I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of that comparison. I'm going to get rid of that, that squabbling and that I am because of what I do. We turn away from that and we say, no, God, I choose to receive your grace. I choose to receive more of you. So let's just take a moment now. I just encourage you, just come before God and say, God, what have, what have you spoken to me this morning, Lord? What were the pinpoints in my life where I think, oh, I need some more of you, Lord. I need to humble myself before you. Just take a moment before God, lift up your heart, do whatever you need to do to focus and put your adoration on Him. You might want to lift your hands or shut your eyes or sit, stand, whatever you want to do. And say, Father God, I want to repent of anything that takes me out of grace. Father God, I don't want to be like those Galatians and start trying to build with material that won't last forever. 
I want to be the kind of person who looks at myself and others based on the beautiful, unmerited, incomparable grace of God. Holy Spirit, we just invite you. Just like Noah let go of that dove to see if it could find a place to land. We say, Holy Spirit, would you come and land on us? Would you come and make home with us? Would you start a new chapter in our church of increased grace? Father, we thank you for where we've come, but it's definitely not far enough yet. (laughs) We are thankful yet hungry. God, I want to pray specifically for people who think, I've lost my joy. I've lost my joy. If that's you, just say, God, I repent of whatever's in the way, even if you don't know what it is, and say, God, fill me with your joy. Fill me with that joy that comes from a gracious Father. respond by just worshipping for a moment and saying you're the God of grace (laughs) you're the Father we love we want more of you can I just say as we begin to sing this song I just felt as Nat was speaking that there are people here with sacks on their backs you know sacks with rocks in And God, by his spirit, as we respond to what Nat's saying, God's going to come by and just sniff them off. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. So if you feel like you're carrying something this morning, and it's tiring, and it's wearying, and you've lost your joy, I think this is such a powerful moment. Performance, or maybe you've been bruised. Just just things that have held you down. As you sing this song, as we respond to what Nat is bringing, allow the spirit to come and just sniff it off and let it drop. Even as we worship, I believe it's going to be happening around the room. Condemnation drop. Weariness of performance and failure dropping. Just dropping. Trying to be religious and keep up appearances. Dropping. Slaving away. I work so hard. No, let it drop. You're a child of God. Memories of just heard of not being appreciated and being rolled over by others. No, let it drop. I believe God will do that by His Spirit as we sing this song with that heart. Shall we?